Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm glad that you're joining me for a taste of hunger. This is going to be great. So today we are going to look into the ingredients that make up an important part of our Purim observance, namely Erev Purim, the day before Purim is celebrated, is observed around the Jewish world as a fast day. And it's a bit different than the rest for a variety of reasons. And today we'll be discovering why it tastes different, what exactly it's comprised of, and then why does it have Esther's name? Tanit Esther. It's not what you think it is. Welcome to a special edition of... Custom and Conventions. Customs and Conventions focuses on the Jewish calendar and specific observances. Our goal is to provide you with a better understanding, a proper background, a full appreciation of what these observances are really all about. Before I begin, I just want to mention that I'd appreciate it if everybody could subscribe, youtube.com forward slash Rabbi Mendel Kaplan, subscribe and enable notifications so this way you'll always be aware of when we're going live and you can participate as often as is convenient. So with no further ado, tomorrow, Erev Purim, is going to be a fast day. And the origins of this day in which we don't eat are actually not nearly as clear as the other such days on the Jewish calendar. I'm going to begin in the second century. I'm going to look at the words of the Gemara. The Gemara is documenting Jewish life as it flourished during the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. The Gemara, right in the beginning of Masechet Megillah, tells us, that when it comes to the reading of the Megillah on Purim, that there are different times in which the Megillah can be read. And that's because it says in the Pasuk, Lekayim es yimei ha-Purim. This is a quote from the 31st verse of the ninth chapter of the Scroll of Esther, Megillah. To fulfill the days of Purim, bizmanehem in their appointed times or appropriate times. So the Gemara says, Zmanim harbe tiknulahem. Our sages instituted a number of different times, many different times, in which 
the Megillah might be read. In other words, whilst most of the Jewish world celebrates Purim on the 14th day of Adar, there are other days when the mitzvah of Mikra Megillah, listening to the reading of the Megillah, can take place. So the Gemara has a discussion back and forth. And the Gemara says that the fact that we can read the Megillah sometimes on the 14th and sometimes on the 15th still doesn't justify the terminology Zmanehem. It could have said Zmanon, their times. Zmanom is already plural. Zmanehem, says the Gemara, indicates more than simply plural, that there's many times. And the Gemara says, Ema Zmanim Tuva. It should have said, many, there's many times, you could have said, Zmanehem indicates something different. And that is to say, that there's more than simply Purim and Shushan Purim, the 14th or 15th day of Adar. And the Gemara's response is this. There are more days in which the Megillah can be read. And they are, Zmanehem include a variety of days in which the Megillah can be read and the mitzvah can be fulfilled under a particular set of circumstances. The Gemara highlights the 11th, the 12th, and the 13th, 14th and 15th, all as days in which the Megillah can be heard. It's interesting to note that the Jerusalem Talmud maintains that the Megillah can be read the entire first half of the month of Adar. And as we mentioned in a previous class, this is actually quoted in the Shulchan Aruch. And Ramah says that under the most extenuating of circumstances, that's what we might do. The Babylonian Talmud doesn't actually say this, though. The Babylonian Talmud says that if it says Zmanehem, is it indicative of what the Jerusalem Talmud is saying? Is it talking about two weeks of Megillah reading? So the Gemara says no. Zmanehem is dumya de zmanom. The many times are similar to the appointed times. Ma zmanom terei just as the appointed times are two, the 14th day of Adar and the 15th day of Adar. This is known to us as Purim and conversely, Shushan Purim. Af zmanehem So the additional times are also inclusive of two dates, the 11th and the 12th. So the Gemara queries, one second, if you're telling me that the language of the Megillah suggests that we can read the Megillah and fulfill the mitzvah, not only on the 14th or 15th days celebrated as Purim or Shushan Purim until our very time, but in fact, in temple times in Israel, it was possible to read the Megillah on the 11th and the 12th, just two extra days, then why wouldn't we say the 12th and the 13th? Why would we understand the verse to be inclusive of the 11th and the 12th, assuming that the 13th certainly could have the Megillah read in it? So the Gemara answers, Omar Rav Shmuel Bar Yitzchak. This follows the teaching of Rav Shmuel, the son of Yitzchak, who says, 
שלושה עשר זמן קהילה לכל היא. Since this teaching comes to us from Rabbi Shmuel Bar Yitzchak, the 13th is a day of gathering, it's self-understood that this would cover, so to speak, a Purim observance, an additional Purim observance. Rashi says, Zman kihilo lakoli. And I quote, Hakol nikalu, all of the members of the Jewish nation at the time of Purim gathered or congregated, lihinokim me'eveim, to avenge themselves from their enemies. Beim b'shushan, beim b'shayim Whether they were in Shushan or anywhere else in the 127 provinces, of the ancient Persian kingdom. That is to say, on the 14th day, in the many provinces of Persia's empire, there was already relief and respite. In Shushan, in the capital district, the 14th day of Adar was also a day of battle. So some people, some of the Jewish people were resting, celebrating, acting out a thanksgiving to Hashem, whereas a small amount of the Jewish people, those living in the capital district of the empire, were still battling their enemies. So the 14th had some doing one and some engaged in the other. But the 13th day was a day of self-defense, aggressive self-defense, I might add, where they went after the Amalekites and they stamped out evil. And because that was the case, since everybody gathered on that day, it is without a question a day that's related to poor miracles and many miracles, in fact, unfolded on that day. As the Rebbe once pointed out, we don't hear of a single Jewish casualty. That's unheard of. In the natural statistics of conflict and war, there's always going to be casualties on all sides. The winning side also registers casualties. And here, there's details on the casualties on the side of evil not a single casualty mentioned on the side of good. So this was a time of a miracle. And therefore Rashi says, Therefore, there is absolutely no need to mention that on this day, one should read the Megillah. Self-understood. The main miracle happened on that day. Purim commemorates a miracle. The main miracle happened on the 13th. And therefore it is self-understood that one might be able to read the Megillah on the 13th day of Adar. Now, 
the, the simple understanding of this Gemara that it was in the second century, the 13th day of Adar was not observed as Tanit Esther, because there's no mention of a fast here. The fact that it is Purim related seems to be as a result of the miracles that unfolded in this day. That's Rashi's read of the Gemara. The question then becomes, well, if the Jewish people celebrating Purim for the first five centuries or six centuries weren't fasting on Erev Purim, when did they start fasting? And why did they start fasting? That's a good question. But in fairness, there is another way to read this Gemara. And there's compelling evidence that both of these have a strong Torah tradition attached to it. You see, the question is posed by the Ritva, the Rashba, the Teisvis, the Teisvis Arash, and many of the other great Rishonim. And their question is, if this is the day that the people gathered together or banded in unison to defend themselves, then it should have said, Yom Milchama. Why does it say Yom Kihila, Zman Kihila? It should have said Zman Bunchama. Well, this is not such a question, says the Rashba, because after all, when the Megillah describes them getting together, it says in chapter 9 of the Megillah, verse 16, Nikalu ve'omeid al nafsham. They got together and they stood up for their lives. Imagine that, Jewish people who defended themselves instead of turning the cheek and asking for more. This was something, a sight to behold. We may have become used to it over the last few decades. But for millennia, Jewish people, unfortunately, were not known or even able to defend themselves. And how does the Megillah describe that day when we got together, congregated, banded together as one and fought back? Nikalu. And so the Rashba and the Ritva say, that's why the Gemara will say, Zman Kihila Lakol. I see Skippy or Zalman is asking a question. He wants to know, does that mean one can read the Megillah on Shushan Purim night if one missed it on Purim night? Not unless you fly to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going through the details of the extra times of reading the Megillah. However, since you're asking the question, and maybe some of what I said isn't a thousand percent clear, let me clarify. Under a very specific set of circumstances, there can be different days for reading the Megillah. This is not something you should try at home. That is to say, don't say, well, I'll do it in the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, the 14th, I'll do it in the 15th. 14th or 15th depends strictly on geography. Where are you at that time? If you are found in Yerushalayim, a walled city from the days of Yehoshua ben Nun, then you must read the Megillah on the night of the 15th and on the day of the 15th. If you are found outside of Yerushalayim, then the only way you can fulfill your mitzvah is by reading it on the night of the 14th and the day of the 14th. And nobody can really fulfill the mitzvah today on the 11th, 12th, or 13th. And for that matter, even though the Ramah says that one should read the Megillah the whole first half of the month of Adar, as per the words of the Yerushalmi, it's very clear that that's done without a bracha, without a blessing, only under an extenuating circumstance, like a person who would be going off to 
I don't know, incarceration, some, some impossible situation where they wouldn't be able to have a Megillah or read the Megillah. And in the event that by Hashem's grace you are able to hear the Megillah on the 14th, you would then make a bracha and have a full obligation of listening to the Megillah to discharge your chiyuv, your commitment, your responsibility, insofar as the mitzvah mandate is concerned. So I hope that answers um, Skippy Zalman's question. And we're talking now not in halachic prose, because the focus of this class is not about reading the Megillah. Now the focus of this class is the taste of hunger. Why are we fasting? This is what I'm going to be addressing. All halachic uh, frames that we will be talking about today are focused solely on the fasting of Erev Purim, also known as Tani Tester. Okay, so it's, uh, now we know why it's called Zman Kehila, and it has nothing to do with fasting. Well, this is the approach of Rashi, without any question about that. However, those very same Mepharshim, the Rashba and the Ritva, quoting the Tosafists, including Rabbeinu Tam, as well as in the commentary of the Rosh, all come back with a very powerful statement. And the powerful statement is... The powerful statement is that when it comes to the reading of the Megillah, we emphasize that it's done b'yemei ha-menucha, not b'yemei ha-milchama. We emphasize that it's done on the days of relief and respite, not on the day of the battle. Now this is a subject that we've addressed fairly significantly in some of the classes that I've recently delivered on Megillat Esther. So for example, if you go to the class that I delivered yesterday on Megillat Esther, you'll hear about this fascinating idea from the Manus Halevi and from the Meshachachma um, as to why that was the case. It's not like incidental. It's a major thesis of what Purim itself represents in the class prior to that. So this would be, I guess, the 49th and the 48th episodes of studying the Megillah in depth. I, I shared a beautiful explanation from the Rebbe about the difference between Hanukkah and Purim, or overt miracles, where the battle itself was clearly miraculous, like on Hanukkah, or on Purim, the miracle was that we were still here to tell the tale. But there were no overt miracles in the actual battles or events themselves. At any rate, it is extremely clear that the Megillah's reading is related to respite and to relief, not to locking horns, combat, or conflict. As such, they query Rashi's reasoning seems faulty. And therefore, Rabbeinu Tam is quoted with an entirely different understanding of this Gemara. Excuse me. Rabbeinu Tam, in 
instead is said to have explained that Zman Kihilo is not referring to the battle, but rather to the prayer. To the time when the Jewish people united in prayer before they went to battle. Shebizman Mordechai ve Esther Nikalu Hayehudim. In the days of Mordechai and Esther, the people banded together. They congregated on the 13th of Adar together with Mordechai and Esther. And they fasted. Because they needed mercy. They were going out to battle. They knew they were going to be involved in some very fierce fighting with some particularly vulgar, violent Nazis. This was going to be bad. It was scary stuff. So what does a Benu Bas Yisrael do when he or she is going to be facing some kind of very daunting challenge? You kick back, relax, and enjoy? Drink some chamomile tea? No! You fast, you pray. You know that ultimately success in all arenas, especially in something like fighting for your life and defending the honor and dignity of the Jewish people, requires Hashem's Baruch And as such, it is obvious beyond any question that before they went out to battle, they first went to shul. And together they prayed. And after they prayed and davened and asked for Hashem's assistance and intervention, then they went and did what had to be done. And so Rabbi Tam says, it's only logical that what they did in those days was to prepare for battle by invoking Hashem's mercy. Says Rabbi Tam, Therefore, it is obvious that even subsequent when Purim was observed, Erev Purim was observed as a fast day. That's why it's called Kehila. Kehila in Hebrew means congregation. Zman Kehila means a time to congregate. A time of congregation. In other words, lefi, because shaboy misasfim uboyim, this is when people come from living in the little villages and they come together for a break prayer day. When it's a yomtev, when it's a time to daven, people come out of their different areas and they unite and they congregate. Loimar sliches, he says, to recite penitential prayers v'tachnunim and supplication to bring forth Hashem's mercy. Now, if we read the Gemara, as Rabbeinu Tam studied the Gemara, the idea of Tanit Esther takes us back to the time of the second Beis HaMikdash. When Purim was observed, they observed not only the victory of Purim, but they reenacted that which brought to the victory. Namely, that before they locked horns with their enemies, they went to Shul and connected to God. And only after connecting to God and receiving God's blessing, only then did they go out and do battle with the neo-Nazi enemies of theirs, the Amalekites. What emerges from the last 20 minutes is that the Gemara can be read in two very different ways. In Rashi's reading of the Gemara, clearly the 13th day of Adar was not linked to Purim observance. Otherwise he would say so. Zman Kehila refers to the day of the battle. 
according to the reading of the Ritva, the, Rishba, the, Ritva, the Rashba, the Rosh, in the name of Rabbeinu Tam, the Gemara clearly alludes to the concept of fasting during the time of the second base of Migdash, when they were observing the festival of Purim. Two very different schools of thought. And of course, it is possible that both are true. It's very possible that some Jewish people were fasting and some were not. There were two schools of thought at the time. Both correct, but the halacha didn't go either way yet. The question is when our Gemara mentions this 13th day of Adar as being linked or suitable for a Purim observance, what's the reason? What is the meaning of Zman Kehillah? A time they gathered together to defend themselves or a time they gathered together to daven so that they would be successful. Now, very interestingly, these two different schools of thought filter down into what we are going to call the poskim. We're going to call halachic prose. So first, let me introduce you to a 6th century work, maybe the 7th century, in all likelihood the 6th century. This is something called the She'iltais. The She'iltais is, to the best of our knowledge, the very first post-Talmudic book ever to be written or at least ever to be preserved. The She'iltais is a fascinating book that covers the parshiot of the Torah. It was redacted or written by Rav Achoi Goin, one of the Ga'onim. Ga'on, today's day and age, means a genius, a very smart guy. But in the time of the Gemara, the halachic decisors of the day, the real leaders of the Torah world were called Ge'onim. Just as in the time of the Mishnah, they were called Tanaim, or in the days of the Gemara, they were called Amoraim. Or in the period after the Gemara's close, before the Zman HaGaonim begins, they were called Savuroim. These were different names that we gave to these historical epochs. And Torah, as it, so to speak, evolves, not randomly, as it evolves, once there is a close of an era, once these have become established as halachic fact, future generations cannot question and cannot disagree. So this is Miyameha Ge'inim, it's from the time of the Ge'inim, whether Reb Acha actually wrote this in its entirety, or it was pieced together from many things written under his redactorship, I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows for sure. Most of the questions are linked to the Torah portion of a particular time of the, of the year. Now this is the end of the book of Shemot, the She'iltais, that seems in most versions to be printed under Vayakel, although it seems there was some printed version that was under Vayikra already, where there are a number of She'ilta. She'ilta is like from Aramaic for question. A number of She'iltas about Purim. Some of them say Lepurim. Some of them say Lepuria. Janet, I'm going to encourage you to send me an email with a specific halacha question. I don't want to respond to specific halacha questions in a public forum. As a rule, you've got to figure out a way to hit a Megillah. That's, that's the simple answer. Um, 
I see what your question is. Sorry, I'm going to respond to this question. Can you hear the Megillah on a live YouTube if there is a reading available? Most definitely not. Most definitely not. There is a letter from the Rebbe, and the Rebbe talks not only as an expert in Torah, but also an expert in technology, as he is the only one of the Torah greats of the last century who was also an electrical engineer, and the Rebbe writes emphatically that there is no question that it is meaningless to listen to the Megillah over the telephone, and Zoom or YouTube would be no different. So there are a number of misguided ideas out there. They're not correct. You cannot fulfill the mitzvah. You will not fulfill the mitzvah. What I encourage all of you is to get a hold of your local Chabad center, and if you can't make the services, I'm sure the rabbi will arrange for somebody to read the Megillah for you at a later time. Most Chabad centers have later Megillah readings staggered throughout the evening and the day. I know that's what we do here in Thornhill. And in all likelihood, that's what will happen wherever you are. And if you're living in a place that's far away from a synagogue, rabbi, or a shul, uh, I think you've got to call up and tell them you have a family emergency. It's called Purim, and you've got to travel to their closest shul or your closest Jewish community and hear the Megillah. Everybody's entitled to personal days. You can take the day off. You should take the day off. And this has nothing to do with the class that I'm delivering now. And if Chas V'Shalom Mashiach delays and people will watch this class in the future, well, it might not be relevant, but I'm going to say this anyway, because I know there are many of you watching live or will watch over the next couple of hours or days. You know, I spoke to somebody yesterday, a fine fellow, and I said, am I going to see you in Shul Purim? And he said, nah, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for Purim. I said, what do you mean too busy? He says, you know, it's the stuff going on. It's COVID. And I'm like, what does that even mean? People are doing just about everything that's important to them. And we're even making the possibility of hearing the Megillah in an empty room with lots of social distance. Somebody's got phobias. Seriously? In the Ukraine, unfortunately, very few Jews are going to be able to celebrate Purim altogether. Maybe if they happen to have a Megillah, they'll be able to read the Megillah. Tragically, thousands and thousands of our brothers and sisters are not able to celebrate Purim. In Russia, the Jews are able to listen to the Megillah, but their Purim celebrations will be muted. I know that for a fact. And here, whether you're in Canada, the United States, Anywhere in South America or the rest of Europe, let alone Israel, Asia, what in heaven is our excuse? Seriously? Hashem gives us a mitzvah that can uplift and enrich us? You're too busy? I wanted to cry. What, like, what does that even mean? For heaven's sake, don't miss Purim. No matter what you do, don't miss Purim. Figure it out. Make a, make a way to do it. You're busy. You're at work. If your best friend lost his mother, you'd find a way to be there for him and attend the funeral. My friends, this is a simcha. When Hashem calls you home to listen to the Megillah so that your soul will be enriched, so that you will be able to understand and appreciate and know that Hashem is with us, you're too busy for that? Come on. doesn't work. Okay, anyway, back to our subject here. So the Sheilta goes through a number of questions with regard to the concept of, of fasting on this day before Purim. And 
The Shilta says like this, and I'm reading from inside the Shilta. This is like the fourth Shilta on Purim. In the beginning of the fourth Shilta, he describes how the Megillah is read in some places on the 14th, I should say most, most places, and in some cities, primarily in today's day and age, Yerushalayim, at least with a bracha, it's read on the 15th day. There are cities in Israel, and as um, Chal David pointed out in, in the, in the uh, chat here, that in Baghdad, apparently, where his ancestry is from, they would also read the Megillah without a bracha on the 15th in case there was a wall around what is built in all likelihood on a very ancient city. At any rate, at any rate, he talks about these two different days of Megillah reading. Then the Shilta says, and this is pretty old, you know, this is the first book after the close of the Gemara. Avol Tanit, but the fast, but the fast, so it's like simple, it's like obvious that they were all fasting. Here, the Gemara is written in the 2nd century. The Gemara does not seem necessarily, at least according to Rashi, to indicate that they were fasting. But a few centuries later, he says, yeah, aval tanit, but in the tanit, he says, whether we are in the walled city, whether we are in the open city, kulan mit'anin asabadar, everybody fasts on the 30th day of Adar. So we know that by the 6th century, all of the Jewish world was already fasting. And the Sheiltis clearly understood this to be the way it was in the Gemara. He learns, this is, this is halachic documentation of the approach of Rabbeinu Tam. The Omar Shmuel bar Yitzchak zman Asr is a time of kehila for everybody. So he says, the Sheiltis interprets this as meaning. There are some who will celebrate Purim on the 15th day. Most will celebrate Purim on the 14th day. But the 13th day, whether you're in the walled city or out of the walled city, Zman Kehila Lakel. As it says, All of the other Jewish people in the king's empire, They congregated. And then, stood up for themselves, defended their lives. So the Sheilta says, My Kehila, what is the meaning of congregate? Congregate is not a word typically used for mustering in military formation. Right, he says. It has nothing to do with military formation. It has nothing to do with combat or self-defense. My Kehila, Yom Tanit. That's the day of Tanit. And he says, furthermore, what is it called? Yom Knisa? Knisa, he says, means Shemitkan Sinbo, that they gather together. The Yoshvin Bitanit. And they sit and they fast. And they ask for mercy. And then he says, what happens when the 13th of Adar falls on Shabbat? Because Purim can come on Sunday. He says, in that case, Makdimen. We pull it back. And then. We do this on Thursday, which is actually the 11th day of Adar, the first day in temple times when they would be able to read the Megillah for certain individuals. And the reason is, he says, It is prohibited to fast on Erev Shabbat because people are busy. They're burdened with preparing for Shabbat. And he says, you must know that as a rule, when it comes to things like this, we delay them. But when it comes to this fast... It is different than all 
of the others. Rafael wants to know, so every Purim needs to be bloody. Will Purim be celebrated in the Ukraine? I fail to understand your question. Chas v'shalom. We hope and pray that Purim should not be bloody. The emphasis of the celebration of Purim is on Yom Manoach, Yom Menucha, peace, respite, relief, not on the day of battle. Purim celebrations are not connected to wars and to fights and to battles in combat. And will Jews in Ukraine be celebrating? Well, in the Dnipro, the community seems to be holding together there. And I think the answer is yes. And my friend who went back to Odessa, I'm sure the answer is yes. And I, I don't know. I guess Jews will be celebrating to the best of their ability. Rafael, my question for you is, will you be celebrating to the best of your ability? And I ask myself that question. Will I do as good as I can? And of course, we should try to make sure the answer is yes. All right, back to the subject. If it comes out on Shabbos, then you fast earlier. It's a very unusual expression because it's a miracle. The miracle, we pull back. We accelerate. We bring it on early. We don't delay that. But he says when it comes to fast, like Tisha B'Av, that is on Shabbat, that's Ma'achrin. We push it off to later. So a very interesting expression. In other words, it's not entirely divorced from the battle. And, and of course, the fasting was connected to the battle. And the battle was miraculous. So there you go. Now, later on, the Shilta says, This is the way our sages understood it. And when it says in the Shiltis, Chachamim, it's referring in all likelihood to the days of the Mishnah. Yom Knisa, Yom Tainis, Hu, Shakol, Miskansen, Umisana, Baby, So according to the Shiltis, in the times of the Mishnah, this was common practice. People would be fasting on the 13th of Adar. Shekein Kosov, Nikalu, Hayyehudim, Ve'omeid al-Nafsham. And the Shiltis seems to divide between Nikalu, which he says means prayed, the Omeid, and then they stood up for themselves and defended themselves on the 13th day of Adar. Mikanatalomeid, from here you can derive Shiyud Gimel Tainis. The 13th is a fast day. No, Raphael, it was not 75,000 dead Persians. It was 75,000 dead neo Nazi Amalekites. It says clearly in the Targum. And that's still not what we celebrate. We don't celebrate. Please go and watch the class I gave yesterday. We don't celebrate the battle. We celebrate the respite, the relief, the fact that we were saved from these subhuman monsters who burned with the intense hatred of a Nazi. Back to the subject here. This is the way the sages ordained it to be, that the Megillah can be read in a variety of days. And the fast can even go back as early as the 11th. So the Sheiltis clearly understood the Gemara to be referring to the concept of the fast day. If you would ask the Sheiltis, he would tell you what Rabbeinu Tam said. That was the Sheiltis' tradition. However, it's not so simple. It's not so simple at all. And I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I, don't, I didn't go through every single source. There are a lot of sources. I, 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 I picked out some basic sources just to try to give you an appreciation. You know, I spent quite a bit of time preparing this class, and the truth is I could have spent many, many more hours, and there's so much more to learn and so many more things to look at. 
I'm just trying to give all of you an appreciation of you know, where this all comes from. I do think we're covering the basics. So now I want to introduce you to the writings of Avudarham. Avudarham is an amazing, amazing book that was written by the Rishon, whose name was David Berebi Yosef Avudarham, and he wrote this book of the cycle of the year, the synagogue cycle of the year. And he went through daily halachot, he went through Shabbatot, Rosh Chodesh, fast days, festivals. And he gives you all these halachot, and it's really extremely fascinating work. Um, I'm going to say that the Avu Darham was authored, I'm going to say it was like, like 12th century, I think. Somewhere around there, about 12th century. So, Avu Darham is a great Spanish rabbi. I, I believe he lived in Seville in the 11th 11th to 12th century, and, and, and that's what he's documenting here. And of course, the ideas that he's documenting are much, much older than the Torah that he learned. This is generations. This is going back, this is just the earliest documentation of many of these halachot, but it is not the origin. It's the first written source. It's not the actual source. The source goes back far earlier, as you'll see. So the Avudarham has this business on the concept of Taniyot, fast days. And it opens, his Seder Taniyot opens with, with an idea which is um, very close to what Maimonides wrote, that it's a mitzvah in the Torah for us to storm the heavens, for us to cry out in supplication and to sound the trumpets, so to speak, when we're faced with a difficult set of circumstances, when things are bad. And then he says that there is also, fast days, which are not dynamic, meaning as a response to a situation, but rather fast days which are commemorative, bringing to mind things that went wrong. He says, here, we certainly don't sound any trumpets because you're not, it isn't a call to action. There isn't something that has to be dealt with now. However, the idea is that we should remember what went wrong because we're feeling hungry and as such, as such, we will do tshuva, return to Hashem. Okay, so Avu Darham, after going through all of the different fast days, the tenth day of Tevet, which is the day Yerushalayim was encircled, Nebuchadnezzar laid siege. The seventeenth day of Tammuz, where a whole slew of things went wrong in our history, and the walls of the base of Migdash were broken, the walls of Yerushalayim were broken. The ninth day of Av, when the base of Migdash was destroyed. And then, on the third day of Tishrei, Tzom we commemorate the full extinguishing of the embers, the last embers after the destruction of the first base of Migdash. And these are all terrible events that happened from which we never quite recovered, even in the time of the second Beit HaMikdash. And according to many opinions, there was fasting in the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, certainly in Tishrei. Then the Avudaham says, Oid misanin biyud gimel ba'adar ha'samoch le'nisan. We also fast on the 13th of Adar, the Adar which is close to Nisan. That's the second Adar when you have a leap year like ours. And here Avudaham says something very interesting. 
ve'eino meforosh bakatuv. It's not mentioned in the Megillah. The mitzvot of Purim are spelled out very clearly. Mordechai created a permanent record so that we might live with the spirit, idea, and ideal of Purim each and every day of our lives. On an annual basis, we celebrate Purim, and from that annual celebration, the message of Purim saturates our being. It uplifts us, it inspires us, and it makes us mindful of Hashem's continuous presence amongst us. However, the fast is not mentioned as an observance not mentioned. And then Avurdaham says something even more surprising. Veloi betalmud. It is not mentioned in the Gemara. Aha. So Avurdaham is of the tradition, the same tradition that Rashi had. That Yom Kehillah is not referring to a fast day. That Yom Kehillah is referring to the day when the Jewish people massed together or mustered to defend themselves. And the only reason we use the term congregate is not because for us congregating means going to battle, but rather that's the terminology that the Megillah used. And it may have something to do with the concept of Hakel, but that's another story. So it's not mentioned in the Talmud. Ela rather, hachachomim ho'achroinim tikonuhu. This is something that the latest, it's a recent development, the later sages. In all likelihood, at earliest, he's referring to Rabbonon Savaroi, the period in the post-Talmud era. Achar chatimat ha-Talmud, after the Talmud was already, so to speak, completed. The course of Ibn Hayarchi, he now quotes a sage from a century earlier. Ibn Hayarchi said that don't make the mistake of confusing this fast with the fast that Esther ordained in the time of Purim. Now, I want to mention that up until this point, we have not referred to it as Tanit Esther at all. We talked about it, Zman HaKahal, Zman Kehillah, Yom Kehillah, Yom Kenisa. We never once mentioned the term Tanit Esther. Although that is the way it's known in the vernacular today. So Ibn Yarchi, and I'm, I'm going to have, make the guess that already in Ibn Hayarchi's time, people were referring to it as Tanit Esther, and that's why he had to write this. He said, yes, perhaps this fast is referred to as Tanit Esther, but don't make the mistake that it is a commemorative of the Tanit, of the fast that Esther ordained. Why? <laughs> because if we're replicating what Esther did, then do what Esther did. She fasted for three days. The fast that she ordained before she went to see Achashverosh was three days long, as it says openly in the Megillah. We're not fasting for three days. Furthermore, that had nothing to do with the month of Adar. They were on Pesach. And he brings the proofs on the Megillah. And he says, Haman was hung on the 16th day of Nisan. The Ein Hatanit, this fast day, is not connected to the fast day of Esther. El Alshain Vayikahalu Hayehudim Asher B'Shushan. It's because the Jewish people in Shushan congregated. That's what the Megillah says. V'Omar Mar, and now he quotes the Gemara. Mar said, "Zman Kehilah Koilu. It's a time of Kehilah." 
And what is the Kehillah? And he says, the Nikalu, they gathered Lihit Anot. Oh, this is interesting. He does say they gathered to fast. Yet, although he says that the congregating that's mentioned in the Megillah is about prayer, he says this was not done in the time of Purim. It was not done in the centuries subsequent to Purim, and it is not mentioned in the Talmud. It was understood. It was understood to be in the image of the fast that they fasted on that day. What exactly does this mean? <laughs> because the Sheiltis, Rabbeinu Tam, they seem to be following that idea that they fasted that day, and Nikalu means fasting. And here, the Avudar Ham is telling us that it's not about the fasting. So he says, that's the reason, we fast one day. And there's a big difference, he says. There's a big difference between this fast of Erev Purim and the other fast days. And the difference is that the other fast days are always deflected. But this fast day is brought on early. And he says, this I found, this I found in the responsa of the Go'onim. The Go'onim did not write books, but they did write responsa that later was collated into something called responsa of the Go'onim. So that could be easily before the time of the She'iltis. And over there it's written this. Whereas the other fast days, they're pushed off to a later time. The She'iltis says something very similar. So whether he's referencing the She'iltis or responsa from others, this we can't be absolutely certain. But what it is clear here is that according to the approach of Rashi in the Gemara, there's no mention of this fast day. And the Avu Darham is following that idea. And what Avu Darham has introduced us to is, it is definitely not the fast that Esther ordained. So now we know that according to all opinions, both schools of thought, this fast day is connected to the fasting on the day of the battle, on the day when the Jews rose in self-defense. And now it gets even more interesting. Let's take a look in Maimonides, Rambam's Codes. The Rambam, of course, is the first to take the entirety of Torah and restate it in the prose of legalese, in halacha. Not discussions, but rulings. But the Rambam's methodology, his choice of words is very, very precise. And many sages have read into the Rambam's choice of words when he stated the rules to reveal the Rambam's jurisprudence, his attitude, his approach, and his understanding by virtue of the words that he used. And we can see with fair certainty that the Rambam does not follow the tradition of the Sheiltis or Rabbeinu Tam, but the Rambam will seem to fit squarely within the frame of Rashi, which is along the lines of Avu Darham. The Rambam in the Laws of Tanit, in the fifth chapter, he opens by saying that there are days, yesh sham yamim, that the Jewish people fast 
בפני הצרות שאירו בהם because of the suffering, the trials and tribulations and travail that we experienced. And we do this not to, so to speak, fast to get Hashem to take away a tzara, a problem that is before us because these problems are behind us. But rather, to stir or awaken the hearts and to open a pathway of tshuva. The answer to Rafal's question is Amalek, if you need to know his race or ethnicity. Okay. The Rambam goes on to describe this in greater detail. And he finishes off the halacha by saying, Bizikaron dvarim elu, by remembering these things, nashuv lehetav, we will return to becoming better people. So the hunger we feel on a fast day, the hunger we taste is a positive one because it makes us Hum, more humble, it makes us mindful, it makes us more contrite, and it becomes a segue into an enhanced spiritual relationship, a deepened sensitivity towards all things holy. Then, the Rambam later on in the same chapter, in subsection 4, Halacha Dalet says, Varbo yimei these four days, we're talking now about the 17th of Thomas, the 9th of Av. We're talking about the 3rd of Tishrei and the 10th of Tevet. Mefurosh and Bikabbalah are all spelled out clearly in the scripture. And the Raman quotes the verses. And then he says, in Halacha Hey, in subsection 5, listen carefully, my friends, and be mindful of the things that I've already shared with you. And I want you to guess what the Rambam's opinion was. And it has become customary in these days to fast on the 13th day of Adar. It's become customary to fast on these days. What does that tell you? It tells you that the Rambam seems to be referring to a fairly new phenomenon, not something which was observed in the times of the Talmud. To fast on the 13th. And why do we fast? So that we have a memory of the fast in the days of Haman. Days of fasting and of crying out to Hashem. That's very interesting. It's very interesting because when the Jewish people went to battle against the Amalekite neo-Nazi haters, Haman was long dead. Haman had been hung a full 11 months earlier, almost to the day. When did the people fast in the days of Haman? They fasted when Esther said to fast for three days. So the Rambam is introducing a different opinion to us. On one hand, he's saying what Rashi said, what Avudaham said, along the same lines. This was not done in the days of the Talmud. The Magid Mishnah, the commentary in the Rambam says, quoting, commenting on Rashi, 
Velo nizkar betalmud. It's not mentioned in the Talmud. He doesn't view or read into the Talmud as some of the other sages did. It's a custom. And some say, Zman that means the Zman Tani Some say, and in this, they based their fast. It doesn't seem like the Rambam is the one who says that. So we have kind of almost a differing school of thought. We have, it seems to be the Rambam is of the opinion that it's a recent fast and that the reason that was ordained is because prior to the Purim miracle there was fasting and that's spoken about in the Megillah. So the Jewish people said, you know what? On the day before Purim we're going to fast. So what do we do? When we fast, why are we fasting? Which of these schools of thought actually influences the halacha that we fulfill in this today in today's day and age. DM is asking. So we read the Megillah twice, the 14th or 15th. Um, the answer to that question is if you're outside of a walled city like Yerushalayim, you'll read it twice on the 14th, the night of the 14th, and again on the 15th. If you're in Yerushalayim, you'll read it on the eve of the 15th and the day of the 15th. But yes, the Megillah has to be heard twice in order to fulfill the mitzvah. So now we're going to move into the actual code of Jewish law, or at least its forerunner. The forerunner of the code of the Shulchan Aruch is something which is known as the Tur. And the Tur has the same structure as the book or the code of Jewish law, the Shulchan Aruch. I don't know what color Amalekites were. I don't see what the difference is. It's all supposition. Irrelevant, my dear friend. Irrelevant what color skin they had. It makes absolutely no difference. And no, we don't know who Amalek is today. So the tour, and this is now going to take us to Simin Tov Reish Peivov, chapter 686 of the Megillah, says the Tor, Garcinon be Megillah's Tainis, we learn in the scroll of Tanit. What do we learn in the scroll of Tanit? We learn that 14th and 15th of Adar are Yom Epurya, are the days of Purim. So one is not permitted to fast, one is not permitted to eulogize. Very interesting. He opens the laws of Purim with a quote from Megillus Tainus. What is Megillus Tainus? Literally, Megillah Tanit means the scroll of fasting. It's an ancient text that predates the Mishnah, or at least emerges at around the same time, and it comes to us in the form of a chronicle. It enumerates 
35 eventful days on the Jewish calendar in which Hashem performed wonderful miracles or we witnessed outstandingly joyous events. And these days, 35 of them, were celebrated as Yemei Mishteh, feast days. What is the meaning of a feast day halachically? How much did you have to eat to fulfill the mitzvah of the feasting? There was no such obligation placed upon us. A feast day meant you weren't allowed to fast. Fast days were prohibited. Eulogizing and public mourning was prohibited on 14 of these 35 days. And public fasting was proscribed. Regardless of the situation, no matter how bad a circumstance we faced, we would never decree a fast on these 35 days. And the Megillus Tainus, which comes from, as we said, Atana, a contemporary of Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel, whose name was Hananiah ben Chizkiah, or in some versions, Hananiah ben Chizkiah ben Goroi. So these uh, days, most of them have fallen by the wayside. And they have faded into oblivion. Because after the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash and all the Tsaras we dealt with, those joyous days didn't have lasting meaning. They didn't continue to resonate for us. With the exception of a precious few. So the tour introduces the laws of Megillah by telling us we read in the Mishnah. The Mishnah, our Mishnah doesn't speak about Purim. Our Mishnah speaks about the Megillah, reading the Megillah. But it doesn't tell us that it's a day of rejoicing. It says it in the Megillah, but it doesn't say in a halacha. So he says, we know that it's happy days, Yom Tov days, because it says it in Megillah's Tainus. Now the Torah goes troubleshooting. I live in a condominium. Is that considered a walled city? Number one, it's not considered a walled city. Number two, it had to have been a walled city at the time of Yehoshua bin Nun. He was the leader, the Rebbe of the Jewish people, who led us into the land of Israel in our first conquest. So, the only walled city in today's day and age is Yerushalayim, broadly speaking. And therefore, we must hear the Megillah on the 14th. But even though we have a tradition that says Megillus Tainis was essentially disbanded, its observances are no longer applicable. The Hanukkah on Hanukkah and Purim it wasn't. I want you to know that there was a school of thought that after the second Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, that Hanukkah should no longer be celebrated. Because after all, Hanukkah was about the rededication of the second Beis Hamikdash, and the second Beis Hamikdash was no longer here with us. And there was even a rabbi who made a, went ahead and made a decree, he made a fast day in Lud. And two of the great sages, Rabbi Yeshua and Rabbi Lazar, showed up there, and one booked a haircut, and one went to the bathhouse, things you don't do on a public fast to demonstrate to the people that your rabbi is wrong. And we have to observe Hanukkah until this very day, because the message of Hanukkah is lasting, even when the Beis HaMegish is destroyed. I gave a series on Hanukkah this year called Lights, 
happiness, Hanukkah, something. Anyway, if you, if you go to um, that series, you'll find clear explanation as to why the holiday of Hanukkah was not disbanded. So it's true that of the 35 dates or eventful days in the Megillus Tainus, most of them went by the wayside, but not Hanukkah Purim. And this makes for a problem. It makes for a problem because one of the rules in Megillus Tainus is that not only are you not allowed to fast on the holiday itself, but you're also not allowed to fast on the Erev, on the day before the holiday and the day after the holiday. And that makes for a huge issue. Because we just learned you're supposed to fast on Erev Purim, but Megillus Tainus tells us you're not allowed to fast on Purim. And if you're not allowed to fast on Purim, you're not allowed to fast on, you guessed it, Erev Purim. So what's going on here? How could the Gemara have told us that we fasted on Erev Purim? After all, Megillus Tainus says that's prohibited. <laughs> How could we say we should ordain a fast on Erev Purim because Megillus Tainus is no longer, but for Purim, Megillus Tainus remains. If so, Erev Purim should be same. It's a fascinating kind of twist. It's coming from left field here. We were discussing whether they did this in the time of the Talmud or didn't do it in the time of the Talmud. What the reason for is, the Torah says we have an issue here altogether. We're not allowed to fast on Erev Purim. Shouldn't be starving ourselves and then feasting a day, a day later. So the Torah addresses this question. He says, even though we learned that one is not permitted to fast or eulogize or publicly mourn before or after, we nonetheless have the tradition of fasting on the 13th. Because Megillus Tainus is no longer in effect. The dates of Megillus Tainus have fallen by the wayside. And along with the dates that fell by the wayside the day before and the day after also fell by the wayside. Only Purim itself, only Hanukkah itself remained. On Hanukkah Purim themselves, they didn't. Nonetheless, Miha, nonetheless, Mutar. On those days, it is permitted. And what's the proof? The proof is the Issa Gemara. We learned in the Gemara, Zman Now, the tour seems to understand the Gemara as not speaking about the time of the Beis HaMikdash. The tour seems to be understanding the Gemara as after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, Megillus Tainus is no longer in effect. That it's his Mankilish, Akomaskabsin, and here, to the best of my knowledge, is the first time it's called Tanit Esther. But in the vernacular, everybody calls it Tainus Esther. And everybody comes. And that's because so Rambam says it's because they fasted in the days of Haman he never calls it Tanat Esther although he seems to be identifying the fast of Esther the Tur speaks about everything we've heard up until now that they came together fasting and praying on the 13th day and yet he calls it Tanat Esther they needed mercy and he says they needed mercy, so they prayed before Hashem. And then he adds at the end, but you know, there are those who fast for three days in Adar. 
And we learn that Mesechet Seifrim. Mesechet Seifrim, which is very likely the origin of the words of the Rambam. He says, you know, there's this business of fasting for three days. Even though the fast of Esther was in Nisan, but in Nisan we're not allowed to fast. That's when Hashem took us out of Mitzrayim. That's when the Mishkan was first set up, so we're not allowed to fast. And as such, the concept of fasting is linked to Esther, or to the fast of Esther. Now, interestingly enough, with regard to the, this idea that the fast is connected to the fast of Esther, the Rebbe once spoke about this. It was on Matzai Shushan Purim in 1989. There was no Fabrengen that year. And the Rebbe said... The Rebbe said that there is a connection between the days of Purim and fasting three days. And he says, because we have a verse, and the verse speaks about fruit, and it says, for the first three produce, years of produce, the first three harvests we don't eat, and the Rebbe said that this is a connection. This seems to be linked to the concept of the three days of fasting prior to Purim. Because it says, Lo yeyochav. Lo yeyochav is the idea of fasting. And since Esther ordained the fast of three days, it's like in the image of the three years, don't eat. And the Rebbe says, even though we fast for only one day, we can see an allusion to the three-day fast from the fact that it's customary to give three half shekels. A half shekel is not really just half a buck. You have to find out the value of the half shekel in its what it's worth in silver. It's closer to 15 or 20 dollars actually. And if you give three half shekels, what you're essentially doing is paying the money that you would have spent on your daily food to tzedakah. And the Rebbe says there's this idea that when you fast, it's not a day to save on food. Because then, ha, you didn't eat, I saved on food. No, the money that you would have spent on food is supposed to be spent or given to those who are needy so that they can eat. That's a proper tanit. And so the Rebbe suggested that there is this idea of fasting for the three days. This is brought down by the Tur. It's alluded to by the Rambam. The Rebbe said, we actually do something to commemorate it. By giving the three half shekels, we're giving three, so to speak, expiations, the food, what food would have cost us to somebody else, to tzedakah. Okay, so there is this idea of it referring specifically to the three days of Esther's fast. However, broadly speaking, with the exception of the Rambam, and what the Tur mentions, almost as an afterthought in the Sechet Sofrim, nobody is speaking about the fast of Esther. They're all speaking about the fast on the 13th day before they went to war. Let me share with you the words of the Raphael, if you're sincere in all of these questions, there are many, many answers any answers to them, but I can't address them right now. I'm focusing on this subject. 
Some of these very questions I've answered in classes in the past. And I encourage you to go watch the classes on the Megillah, as well as the other classes I've given on Purim, and the many, many other fine classes that are available on the Internet. Please, let's keep the questions to the subject matter. The Levush, Rav Mordechai which is a 16th century work patterned on the Torah. It's written kind of the time of the Shulchan Aruch, but it is not the code of Jewish law, although it's written in that fashion. He says, he begins his laws of Purim, doesn't call them Hilchas Megillah, he calls them Hilchas Purim, and he starts off with the first set of halachas, Din Ta'anit Esther. So we can see by the 16th century, it's widespread. Everybody's referring to it as Tanit Esther. Rambam does not call it Tanit Esther. Avudarham does not call it Tanit Esther. Rabbeinu Tam does not call it Tanit Esther. But however, once we get to the period of the tour, once we're already in the 16th century, we are seeing Tanit Esther by name. In fact, that's what the Levush calls these set of halachas. And he begins with the same ideas that are mentioned by the tour, which interestingly the Shulchan Aruch does not mention. And he says that even though the Megillah, the scroll of Tanis, was nullified, nonetheless, and the rule therefore should be, we don't, we don't fast on Erev Purim, so this fast is incongruous. It seems to be in contradiction with a basic Jewish tradition, as we learned. Nonetheless, the customary, we do fast. We do fast. And why do we do this? So the Levush introduces a new idea to us. He said the reason we don't fast on the days of Megillah Tanit is because they were rabbinic days. And he says rabbinic days had to be protected, otherwise we wouldn't take it seriously. However, he says, when we're speaking about Purim, it's kind of biblical. I mean, after all, the book of Esther is a biblical book. And as such, it doesn't have to be protected. It doesn't have to be buttressed. divrei Torah she'enam tzrichum chizik, says the Levush. Lefikach, therefore, muter lehitanot, it is permissible to fast just as on certain times we fast, even on Erev Shabbat, when the 10th day of Tevet falls on Friday. Then he says, v'kiblu'a aleihem lechova. This fast was accepted upon the Jewish people, or we accepted it upon ourselves as obligatory. As a public fast day, why? Mishum shebon nikalu bimei Mordechai ve'ester because this was the day that we banded together to defend ourselves in the time of Mordechai and Esther. Lehi lochem to battle in self-defense, although much of it was an aggressive kind of self-defense. V'lamay dal nafsham if they had to be praying, they were probably fasting. And how do we know this? So here, the Lord Chayafi does something fascinating. Moshe Rabbeinu was fasting on the day that he did battle with Amalek, but Moshe Rabbeinu didn't do battle. Moshe Rabbeinu was on a mountain praying. It's a little bit unwieldy, this comparison. Certainly there was a fast being observed when they went into battle. 
And because we fulfill the mitzvahs of Purim and the observance of this holiday, Lezecher also has to remember that miracle. So Gamkein, Srichamanulasos, Kemosam, we have to do as they did with regard to the Tanit, the fasting. And he uses a very interesting expression. What, do you only want the good stuff? You only want the honey? You don't want to have to work hard? They fasted and they had a miracle. You just want to celebrate. It doesn't go like that. You want to celebrate, you have to, so to speak, embrace the entire situation. They fasted, we fast. They experienced miracle and celebrated. We celebrate for that miracle as well. And then he finishes off, but nonetheless, it is... This is not clearly ordained in the Mishnah or in the Gemara. It's not. It's only a minhag. It's only a custom. And because it's a custom, somebody who's healthy shouldn't separate himself. So if you're able, go ahead and fast. If you're not, call your local rabbi. Likely, he'll give you a dispensation. Now here's something really interesting. Really interesting. This business of Moshe Rabbeinu fasting linked to the battle of the Jewish people against the Amalekites actually fits in perfect synchronicity with the words of the Psikta de Rav Kahana and the Psikta de Rav Kahana. Over there on Parsha Zohar it says... That the Torah's words in the battle against Amalek are midor dor. And midor dor doesn't say midor lindor in every generation, but only from a generation to a generation. And the Psikta says that is the door of Moshe, the generation of Moses, when Joshua leads the battle against the Amalekites. And then there is Dorai shall Shmuel, the generation of Samuel along with the battle carried out by Saul, who, by the way, fails. And then there's the Doro, there's the generation of Mordechai and Esther. And from there we go to Mashiach. That's the next time we deal with this. So in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, they didn't fully succeed. It says, Yeshua weakened the Amalekites, but did not finish them. It was supposed to be over in the generation of Shmuel and Shaul, but a big mistake was made. And then this gets left over to the time of Purim. Mordechai and Esther in their day do the best they can. And ultimately, it is when the coming of Mashiach finally arrives that this concept will be completed. So it's interesting that the Levush links the battle of Mordechai in the days of Mordechai and Esther, to the battle in the days of Moshe, because actually they're part of a continuum. They are, if you will, dots, mathematical dots in the same line. It's interesting. But this brings us to a very big question. It seems that the vast majority of the Poskim from those who believe that the Jewish people already in the time of the second base Hamikdash were fasting, or some were fasting, to those who believe that it was only something done later in the times of the Talmud, to those who believe that this comes in the post-Talmudic era, almost all of the poskim follow the approach that it is not commemorative of Esther's fast, 
something we only find in the Rambam, but rather, and the Torah mentions it, but rather it's commemorative of the fast that was done when they did battle. Which then begs the question, why is it called Ta'anit Esther? Why is it called Ta'anit Esther? What does it have to do with Esther? Now here's something really interesting. There's a letter from the Rebbe, and this is found in Igras Kodesh, volume 26, which has letters that the Rebbe penned in the year 1970. By the way, if you're able to see me, let me know, please, because on the screen here, I'm getting nothing. Can you guys see me? Is that a yes? Somebody want to let me know on uh, the live chat if you can see me or not? You want to send me a text or a WhatsApp? You can see. Good. And you can hear? You hear me? I'm going to assume yes. Okay. So the Rebbe wrote this letter. It's dated the 11th day of Adar Sheni, which was in that year observed as the fast of Esther. And apparently this was a letter, like it was almost a, like a form letter. The Rebbe sent this to a number of different people and he filled in the dots of their individual questions, but it's also like a letter about, about Purim, with inspirational words for Purim. And the letter has footnotes, copious footnotes. And in the footnotes, the Rebbe goes through many of the sources that I mentioned today. And the Rebbe says, it is actually Tzaruch Iyunktas. He says, this letter is being written on Tanites there. He says, you know, it's really strange. It needs to be looked into. Why is it called Esther, fast of Esther? It's not connected to the three-day fast, as most of the Puskim write. So why would you call it Tanis Esther? And at the end of this footnote, this is, by the way, found on page 348 and page 349 in the 26th volume of the Rebbe's letters, the Yigras Kedish, the sacred letters of the Rebbe, and at the end of the footnote, the Rebbe says, you can't compare it to the Megillah, which is called Megillat Esther, because Esther said, Kitvuni Ledorot, please remember me. You left me in the palace at Achashverosh. Please remember me. So Esther wants to be remembered specifically. And in fact, strange. Am I saying anything here? All right. So Esther says, I want to live on through the Megillah. Because Esther didn't have a family. And Esther didn't really live in a Jewish community. She couldn't live out her life as a, as a Jewess. She lived her life as a, a Persian princess, as, as a queen. So the Megillah's Esther is called Megillah's Esther because Esther said Kitvuni. Why would you call it Tanis Esther? Then, on page 350, the Rebbe writes in a footnote, and I don't know if he wrote this to all of the people or one of the people who got this letter. And I'm quoting. Nit akev this letter, for whatever reason, never got sent out yet. Vihit bonanti. And I meditated. I thought about this. 
Tam, the reason for Tanit Esther, is Bepashtut. Why? Because Kivan Shazeu Tanit Shabon Nikalu La Modal Nafcham, since it's a Tanit that they fasted when they would go to battle. Says the Rebbe, Harekol Hatsichim La Modal Nafcham, when everybody has to go to battle to defend themselves. Which we read in the Megillah was everybody raised arms to defend themselves. Everybody. Minar v'adzokein tafenoshim. Both senior citizens, all of the men folk and the women, even children who were able. In that case, that it's not the right thing to fast. You don't rely on miracles. You have a halacha. You got to do your best. If you're going to war, you eat and you drink and you get as much koyach, as much strength as you need. Not to break their strength. And the Rebbe quotes a numerous sources for this idea that goes back to the scripture itself. And he says, but there was one Jew who wasn't going to battle. Masha'enkin Esther. Esther fasted on behalf of the Jewish people. And by the way, this fits perfectly with what the Lavush says. Moshe Rabbeinu fasted. The Jewish people didn't fast. Yehoshua wasn't fasting. The soldiers were fasting. Moshe Rabbeinu was fasting. In fact, Moshe was sitting on the top of a mountain with Aaron and Chur, and it is from that very posture. Moshe Rabbeinu, with his arms spread out in prayer, held up by Aaron and Chur, that we learn that when you have a Tanit, when there is a public prayer, that there has to be three people on the bima. We learn it from Moshe. So Moshe was the one who was engaged in the Tanit. Here, who was able to be engaged in the Tanit? This was a battle for life and death. It was a conflict, a struggle for survival. So once I found this, this letter, they footnoted and they said, you know, if you look in the Fabreng in Ampurim 1970, you'll see that Rebbe speaks about it. So I did a little uh, sleuthing and I found the Fabrengen. This is in Teres Menachem, volume 59, the Purim Fabrengen. And the Rebbe here on page 405 says, We know about the Megillah that Esther said, Kisvuni Ladeiris. And the Rebbe says it was not because she sought fame or fortune, but rather because she devoted herself in a self sacrificial manner in order to save the Jewish people. And she wanted it to be known for posterity that a Jewish woman. Save the Jewish people. It was a Bayei Isha be Israel and should be a part of Torah. That she should be an inspiration for Jewish women in the future. That they should know that every single Jewish woman has within her purview the courage and the strength and the stamina and the spirituality to save the whole Jewish people. Kishem she Esteritzilah, and that's why the Megillah is called Megillah Esther, to tell you that there's an Esther in every generation. And who is the Esther? Every Jewish woman is watching now as an Esther. You have the koyach. And when you behave as you should, what does that mean? Esther was a chassid. She followed what the Rebbe told her without thinking of her own honor or even her own danger. She brought about the greatest miracle and salvation for the Jewish people. The Rebbe says, I want to tell you, I want to share something with you. Based on these thoughts, that was thinking about this. That was thinking about this idea because, like, why was Esther saying, give me, the, give me the glory? 
Self-aggrandizement versus no, it's not self-aggrandizement. Esther is trying to broadcast a very important message for future generations. And the said, as I was thinking about this, it's very unusual, but I was like sharing his, like his creative genius with us. He says, I want to mention something which I stumbled upon, something new to me. It's 1970. The Rebbe said, I thought of something, and the Rebbe said, I toiled. The Rebbe's brilliant mind, the Rebbe toiled on this for days. Toiled for days. And he said, on Purim, it suddenly hit me that there's no question. And the Rebbe said, this is something that I've mentioned multiple times, that at times, the profoundest Deepest ideas are so obvious and simple that nobody stops to realize. The answer is right there in front of us. What's the answer? So the Rebbe says that we know that this business of the fasting on Yud Gimel, Adar, Erev Purim, is not really connected to the fasting of Esther. And the Rebbe mentions that as I've shared with you some of these sources, that the fast of Esther was in the month of Nisan. The fast of Esther was three days. And the Rebbe says, Avudar Ham writes clearly that we fast because the Jewish people banded together. And it's after the time of the Avudar Ham and all of a sudden we see the name Tanit Esther show up. The Rebbe says, it has nothing to do with Esther. Why would you call it Tanit Esther? All the Jewish people fasted. The Megillah is called Esther. We know the reason. But the fast? Yeah, I'm, I'm moving this along. So on page 408, the Rebbe says, the beer is poshud b'yeser. It's very simple. It says in Tesefta of Meseches Tainus, and this is brought in Halacha and Shulchan Aruch, with regard to a city that has been laid siege by an enemy, that these are one of the things that we have to make a fast day for. However, it says clearly that those who wield arms and are the actual defenders of the city are not allowed to fast. Those who don't go to war are fasting. Those who go to war are eating so that they have the maximum amount of strength because you've got to do in nature what you can do. As we learned in great detail in our Live With Certainty series, the Shara B'Tachem. So on the 13th day, when every single Jew was slated for annihilation, every man, woman, and child was slated to be slaughtered by the neo-Nazis, the Amalekites of the day. So in that case, who rose up to defend themselves? The answer is they did. Anybody who was somewhat able-bodied wielded a weapon, and they defended themselves. In that case... This is Anoshim, Noshim. Women also go out to battle in a time of emergencies such as this. After all, they were all in the crosshairs. Aha, says the Rebbe. Who then could have fasted? Hayechida Mikol B'nei Yisrael, the one person, we can be sure, actually bore the burden for everybody because she wasn't going to be wielding a weapon, is Esther. She's in the palace. She wasn't in danger. Everybody else was. And so, it's obvious that here, Esther fasted on behalf of the nation. We fast today because Esther fasted. And that, said the Rebbe, is why it's called the fast of Esther. And so, in closing, we really end up with a phenomenal concept 
we do fast on the day before Purim. And we do it because Esther did it in that first year. And it may have taken time until everybody kind of twigged onto this and realized it. And maybe that's why this wasn't something that was as widespread initially until it caught on and everybody recognized the veracity of this fast. One woman can fast for a whole nation. And now a whole nation fasts to honor and to commemorate the fast of that one woman, Esther. And eventually it became so clear to the sages that they called it. It was obvious. They called it Tanit Esther. And then somebody forgot to pass on the memo, and it became forgotten. And the Rebbe, in the year 1970, stumbles upon this, shares it at the Fabrengen, and subsequently commits it to a very short, pithy uh, footnote on these letters that he sent out in the year 1970. And so, my friends, this is a little taste of hunger. It's why you and I should fast tomorrow if we're able-bodied not because of something going on in the world right now. No, because we are honoring Esther and we are commemorating the miracles of yesteryear. And that commemoration is dynamic, vibrant, alive, and relevant. And when we commemorate Hashem's miracles, Bizman Hazer, in this time, from what happened by Yom Imohim in those days, we pray that just as they happened in those days, they will indeed happen not only by Yom Imohim in those days at this time, but Be'ezrat Hashem, my friends, in our time and in our days with the coming of Mashiach and the ending of all conflict and war and violence forever and the ushering in of a beautiful new world which is filled with nothing but fulfillment, satisfaction, peace, brotherhood, togetherness, and the knowledge of Hashem that will pervade all of existence. Bemheira will be amenu amen. Thank you for joining. I wish you all a very happy Afrelechem Purim, a joyous Purim, and hopefully we will all be celebrating in Yerushalayim at HaKodesh, first Purim in the newly built Beis HaMikdash, speedily and in our days. Amen. And if Chas V'Shalom, Mashiach tarries, please, be sure to hear the Megillah and celebrate Purim to the best of your ability because as long as we do our best, that's all Hashem expects. Have a beautiful day and thank you again for joining.